Good morning, City Lights. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors here with you, and today is a good day, City Light Church. We are starting a very new series in a very old book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis with me? Uh, If you're new to the Bible, go ahead and open your front cover. You're going to hit the table of contents, keep going, and you're in Genesis. We're going to be in the first book, the first chapter, and the first verse of God's Word written to us, the Bible. Uh, As you turn there in your Bibles or your fake Bible on your phone called an app, you're welcome to do that. Next week, bring your Bible. Uh, Let me ask you this question. If, if, uh, If you were to write a book, if you were to write a story, how would that story begin? How would you begin your book? Uh, See, how an author begins his book or her book is very telling about um, the rest of the book and what that author wants us to know. We learn about, uh, you know, some preliminary things about the plot and the characters and the tension that's going to be resolved throughout the remainder of the book. Well, God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. More specifically, it's 66 books compiled into one book that we call our Bibles. And the very first book in that book is the book of Genesis, and that is where God begins. Uh, the, the word Genesis literally translated means beginnings. It's the beginning. In Genesis, we see the beginning of what? Everything. Uh, everything other than God finds its beginning in the book of beginnings that God calls Genesis, and it's a very important book to us. Uh, in just the first three chapters, we learn some of the foundational, some of the primary, some of the uh, most fundamental things about who God is, uh, what the world is, who in the world are you, why are we in the condition, the human condition that we find ourselves in, why is the world the way that it is. We see a picture of man being created in the garden, sin entering the human equation, and the promise of God to remedy us from our situation. That is all in the book of Genesis. And um, uh, this is going to be a very important series to the life of our church. I want you to know... um, Christianity doesn't start in Matthew 1, right? You with me? It starts in Genesis 1. Same God, beginning to end, revealing himself and expressing himself and relating to his people. And so uh, we're going to get a a picture of who this God is as he introduces himself to us in the first book, the book of Genesis. And so City Light, um, something we hold very important uh, here at the church, we we don't want to have a watered-down view of God. We want to know God as he truly is. We want to behold God as he reveals himself to be. We want to worship and adore God as he rightly deserves for us to do so. And so we're going to get to know the God who is our God, the one true God, in the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, Before we really get into our verse this morning, let me give you just a little bit of background by way of introduction. Uh, The book of Genesis was written by the author Moses. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've read more books than I'd care to confess to you about all things regarding Genesis, and uh, for a long time, uh, scholars and theologians have debated who really wrote Genesis, and uh, here's what I found out. Jesus told us that Moses wrote Genesis, okay? So we're going to go with the fact that Moses wrote Genesis, Amen. Jesus is God and raised from the dead. So if anyone wants to cast a vote with those credentials, we'll consider it. Until then, we're going to go with Jesus. Amen? Uh, Moses authored the book of Genesis as well as the rest of the uh, first five books of the Bible known as uh, the Pentateuch. Now, why did Moses write the book of Genesis? 
why? That's an important question, right? Every book, including the Bible, including the particular books in the Bible, were written for a purpose. And in order for us to understand um, any book, we need to know why is it written, right? Um, anytime we start to ask questions of a book that it wasn't intended to answer, we get to a really weird place, right? If you were to take the instructions for your lawnmower and read them um, as instructions for your parenting, things are going to go really weird. Are you with me? You could say, well, then, then those instructions must be false. No, they're true, and they're right in their intended sense, and they were intended to help you with your lawnmower. And so we need to understand why was Genesis written, and we need to read it in light of that so that we can accurately understand and apply it. So here's why Genesis was written. The Bible tells us that the Genesis was written by Moses in the time that the Israelites, God's people, were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. As God's people were wandering in the wilderness, they encountered all kinds of pagan and polytheistic cultures that had all kinds of wacky and wingnut creation myths about how the earth came into existence and who God was. Not the least of which were the Babylonians who, who had this creation myth that, that the earth, our planet, was really the dead, decaying body of the mother goddess who died in a battle with some other god and was, was sent out and hence the earth. And, and the people of God scratched their head and said, what? And the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to pen the book of Genesis, which tells us the book of beginnings, how everything came into existence. That's why the book was written. We are introduced to God, his creation, sin, and how God relates to his people, his covenant people, through his promises and through his grace. And so let me, let me just point out, Genesis is not primarily a scientific textbook. Are you with me? Um, um, if you are coming to the Genesis series hoping you'd get 12 weeks on how old is the planet, I'm sorry. Uh, that's not going to be this series because that wasn't Genesis's goal. Therefore, it will not be our goal. But what we do want to do is we want to open up God's living word with an enthusiasm and a joy to learn from him, learn about him, and respond to him with worship and adoration. We're going to take a look at what God says about our origins. And this morning, we're going to bite off a huge chunk one verse, okay? One verse. That was a joke. That's a small chunk. Uh, I'm going to spend the next 40 minutes or so talking to you about 10 words, one verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to go very slow. We're going to speed it up just a little bit next week, um, but we're going to start with the beginning very slow. And so I trust you in your Bibles now. Let's get into our text. It starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, let's start with the first three words. Here we go. Point one, in the beginning. Let's stop there. In the beginning. Every good story starts with the beginning, right? Every good story, God's story starts with the beginning. And human history and all of God's creation begins with a beginning. Now that's significant. History has a beginning. Have you thought about the fact that time, space, matter, and mass all have a beginning, uh, until recent years and decades, many scientists and atheists believed that all of creation and the universe, um, as it were, was forever existent, that we have existed uh, forever in the past and through various permutations and collisions and accidents have arrived to where we are through uh, an infinite possibility, uh, we are where we are. But in the past 100 years, scientists have concluded uh, that all evidence confirms that the universe actually sprang into to existence from a single point in the finite past. 
And since that time, scientists would agree that the universe has been expanding outward from that starting point, from that beginning. In other words, science has confirmed that everything that exists has an absolute beginning. Now, this is late-breaking news to the world of science, but this is exactly what God told us through Moses 3,500 years ago in the beginning. Everything has a beginning. Now, that's important. Stick with me. There's a philosophical argument for the existence of God called called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. We're going to put up uh, the two premises and conclusion up on the screen. Uh, We'll go through it really slow. Stick with me. This is important. Number one, the cosmological argument says this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. That's self-explanatory, right? Um, something does not come from nothing. And forever past, nothing has never created something. It would be more, uh, um, you would have more integrity to believe in magic than you would have to believe that something could come from nothing. Because at least with magician or with magic, you have a, a magician and a wand and a hat and an abracadabra. At least there's something, right? Premise number one is that nothing, something does not come from nothing. Imagine a universe where it did. Imagine going home, walking into the bathroom and hollering out, Honey, there's a rhinoceros in the bathtub. She would say, What? There's a rhinoceros in the bathtub. How did it get there? There is no cause. Nothing created something, which was a rhinoceros in the bathtub, right? You can laugh at that. It's absurd, and it's supposed to be. She would say, how did it get there? It, 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 just, just, it has no cause. Um, if you don't believe me, try this, men, with your spouse at home. Not the rhinoceros. I've got something more productive, okay, and less messy. Uh, when your wife sleeps this afternoon, go to the mart, get an 80-inch flat-screen TV, While she naps, hang that up in the living room. When she wakes up and you're watching NFL this afternoon, she says, where did that come from? Just say, honey, it has no cause. (laughs) It sprung into existence from nothing. That which is something used to be nothing, and there it is. It has no cause. Absolutely absurd, right? Everything that begins to exist has a cause. That's premise number one. Premise number two is that the universe began to exist. As I already said, from the atheist um, philosopher and scientist to the Christian theologian and and apologist, most everyone would agree the universe, the cosmos, everything that exists tells us that it has a beginning point in finite history. There was a time in which everything didn't exist. Right now, everything does exist. Somewhere between there and there, there was a beginning point. The conclusion then, if everything that begins to exist has a cause. If the universe has a beginning, the conclusion is this, the universe must have a cause. It must have a cause. And, and track with me on this. If, if, if space, time, and matter had a cause, its cause must be spaceless, must be outside of time uh, or eternal, and it must be uncaused, eternally pre-existent. Additionally, it must be incredibly powerful to create everything that has been created, or it is what Genesis 1 calls God. In the beginning, in the beginning, we have a beginning. Uh, Now, if you didn't follow along with the cosmological argument for the existence of God, maybe you're more used to Chris Haruska's sermons and kind of that level of thought life. Um, 
I put a, a, a video up on Facebook, and for Chris, I included pictures. It's a little YouTube clip. Uh, you can log on there. I know I went through it fast, but it's important. Uh, really, on our Facebook page, you can go and check out the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God. So number one, um, the Bible already tells us a lot uh, about God. And the first three words, in the beginning, we have a beginning. You know, the other thing we learn about just the first three words of the Bible in the beginning is this. The only way that we could have concrete knowledge of the beginning is through the Creator Himself. In other words, since there was a beginning, we all have a beginning. And no one can concretely tell us what happened in the beginning because guess what? None of us were there. So through science, we can hypothesize. We can create hypotheses and hypotheses and, and test them and create theories and project back. Through philosophy and thought, we can speculate as to, to what may have happened and how we have got here. But because the earth has a beginning and none of us were there, what we need is not speculation but revelation. The only concrete way we can know about the beginning is if God tells us why, because he was the only one that was there. In the beginning requires the fact that God speaks to us and praise God that God is a God who speaks. He gives us the Bible. He tells us so that we don't have to speculate. We can understand how we and the rest of the cosmos came into existence. We learn about creation through revelation. We're three words into the Bible. You still with me? In the beginning, we have a beginning. Let's go to our fourth word. In the beginning, point two is this. God. In the beginning, God. All right, we've got some work to do. What I love about this is the Bible just presupposes God's existence. Did you notice that? It's like God says, boom, here I am. Prove me otherwise. He, he's just presupposed as preexistent and preeminent. He just is. It's like God saying, hey, the burden of proof is on you to prove otherwise. But in the beginning, God. God was. We learn from this not only that God was in the beginning and that God is, but we can actually, from just the four first words in the Bible, start to learn something about who this God is. Before the stories and the patriarchs and Jesus and the cross and the rest of the New Testament and Revelation, just from this, we can learn something about who our God is. In fact, I would argue we could come up with dozens of things we can know about God from the fact that he was in the beginning, but let me give you ten. Take notes. You with me? iPhone's out. Here we go. Let me tell you 10 things that we know about God just from the first verse, first couple verses of the Bible. Number one, God is eternal. God is eternal. Think about that. Before creation, God was. Before time, God was. Before there was space, matter, and mass, God was. From eternity past, further back than forever past goes, God was. God is, God was. He is eternally pre-existent. Number two, God is living. Think about that. Life in general, human life in particular, never springs forth from that which is not alive. Life always comes from life. And God, our eternally pre-existent, preeminent God, is a living God. He's alive. Number three, God is independent. God is independent. That's a, a fancy word that means that God depends on nothing but is sufficient in himself. For eternity past, the eternal living God has had everything he needed in and of himself because forever, God. 
That tells us that God is dependent on nothing. Everything other than God is created by God and therefore dependent on God. Without God, we don't exist. Are you with me? Everything depends on God, but God depends on nothing. God is independent. For eternity past, God. He just was, and he did fine without us. For eternity, God is independent. Here's what that means for us. Because God is the only one who is independent, he is the only one who can express love toward us in the most pure and selfless motives. Why? Because he needs nothing from us. Only someone who is truly independent can ever deliver pure motives of love toward us and and intentions toward us because he is independent. What do we know about God? He's eternal. He's living. He's independent. Number four, God is trinity. The word used for God in the fourth word of the Bible is Elohim. That's the plural form of the word for God. In the beginning, plural God. But the next word, bara, the word for creates, is used in a singular form. In other words, we have one God that is doing the creating, but he exists in plurality. What the Bible calls this is Trinity. We see it just in the next verse. There is one God, but who ex- uh, exists in three persons. The next verse says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. That's the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, we see in the beginning was the Word. That's the description for Jesus. That's the third member of the Trinity. He was in the beginning God. And so we see that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a community. He's this eternal, self-sufficient, self-contained, happy, creating community that is living, that has existed for eternity past. God is Trinity. Number five, God is transcendent. God is transcendent. That's another fancy word for saying that God is completely separate from his creation. He's in a category unto himself. In the beginning, God. So God is not um, in and through his creation, a part of us, and God is just a a part of the spiritual divine, is a part of the created world, as, as pantheism would teach us. God and divinity is not a higher state that we can achieve as we gain enlightenment, as New Age spirituality and other religions would lead us to believe. God alone stands in a category of himself. He is creator. He's not a part of the earth. We are not part of him. Everything that exists exists in two categories, creator, creation. Category one, God. Category two, everything else. See, God is transcendent. He is unique. From eternity past, God and just God. He is alone. Uh, But the sixth thing is this, God is imminent. He is eminent. That's another fancy word for saying that God is actively at work in his creation. And so while God stands apart categorically, he engages with and is present in his creation. He is not a distant, uninvolved force like deism would teach us. He is involved in his creation. He is not only powerful, but he is personal. He is an imminent God. Number seven, God is powerful. For anyone, for anything, to make everything out of nothing implies a great level of power. God speaks, and it is. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, I am the Lord, the God of all. Is anything too difficult for me? What we learn about God is he's incredibly powerful. Number eight, God is magnificent. I didn't know which word to use here. I think another one would have been glorious. 
beautiful, incredible. In other words, here's what I'm getting at is God creates, he, 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 he could have created in black and white, but he creates a world that's in color, right? God could have created a two-dimensional universe, but he created three. And does, does time count? Is that four? Any phys- I don't even understand. That's my point. Um, God could have created industrial air purifiers, but he created trees and biological processes and photosynthesis. God created complexity and, and beauty just because he could. He created uh, organic life that we will never discover, um, 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 wild fish at the bottom of the ocean's depth that, w- that we don't even know exist. He, he created human and man in his likeness just because he could. God created, and he didn't do it simply. He did it brilliantly and magnificently. And so what we learn about God is he, he's, he's glorious. He's, he's amazing. He's, he's brilliant. He is magnificent. Number nine, God speaks. He is a speaking God. That's incredible. Think about that for a second. God is not silent. He is a God that communicates with his own creation. As we'll learn next week, the way God created is through speaking. It was through his voice. And similarly, um, God speaks to us and um, 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 through us, through the words of the Bible. Through God's powerful voice, he brings forth life into creation. Through the preaching of the gospel message, God brings forth eternal life. God is a God who speaks. He is a speaking God. And number 10, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. As creator, God is the author of and authority over everything that is created. There is nothing outside the bounds of his jurisdiction. Everything comes from God, belongs to God, is ruled over by God, and will give an account to God. He is sovereign, king, creator, and lord over all things. God is sovereign. This is God. We're four words in. Isn't he amazing? Listen, he is not a faceless, nameless, impersonal force. He is the living, personal, powerful, beautiful, speaking, sovereign God. And let me ask you, do you know this God? He designed us that we would know him. A.W. Tozer says eternity won't be long enough to learn all that God is. For eternity, we will investigate his heart and his character, and we will never plumb his depths. He will continue to expound the boundaries of our understanding because he is the eternal, personal, powerful God. In the beginning, God. That's incredible. Next word. In the beginning, God created. Let's stop there. In the beginning, God created created. Have you ever thought about this? There are countless adjectives, titles, and roles that are true of God. God is what? God is king. God is judge. God is savior. God is a father. And God gets one chance to communicate to his creation his first impression. He gets one introduction to his creation through the Bible. And what adjective, what verb, what descriptor does God choose to to make for his first impression that we would know about him? That he's a creator. First thing he wants us to know, he's a designer, he's an architect, he's an artist, he is a creator. To be real honest, I had never thought about that before until this summer. We were down at the outdoor baptism service, and Andy, one of our um, artists in the congregation, a uh, great, great guy, had created this little art tool that the kids were doing, and, and I thought, well, that's, that's sweet, that's really neat. Like, Andy made a little craft for the kids, and I said, hey, thanks for, for making the craft. And he said, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? said, yeah, buddy, they're putting paint on paper plates. Like, it's fine. I mean, I got them all over my fridge with magnets. And he says, no, like, 
the creativity, like these kids don't even realize it, but, but they're displaying the, the, the image of God that is in them and through their creativity. That, oh yeah, that is, that is kind of neat. And he was the one that said, God had one chance at a first introduction, and guess what he chose that we would know about him? That he's an artist. He's a creative. Now, artists in the room, let's have a candid conversation for just a second. Let me talk to you. What I want to tell you is that you drive me crazy. I don't understand you. Let me also confess, artists, sometimes you talk to me, and I nod and smile. I have no idea what you're talking about. You talk in circles and make word pictures and talk in abstracts, and I smile and nod, but in here I'm like, get to the point, buddy, right? I do not understand artists. Worship leaders, you guys are so weird. So weird. We speak different languages. It's hard to work together. I don't get you. You and I are different. Artists, crazy. But let me also say this. Artists, you are incredible. What you do by taking that which does not exist and bringing it into existence is putting on display the very nature and character of God. Somehow up here, there's something that doesn't exist. It happens in here, and with your handiwork, it comes into existence. That's absolutely incredible. You put on the display of the character of God. You display the character of God by painting pictures and writing songs, by designing architecture and writing poetry. You are displaying something of God with what you display in your art. And so artists, let me just savor this moment because you never get a shout out from stage because I don't get you. Um, But in Genesis 1, I, I feel like I just need to encourage you for a second. Man, do your creative work to the glory of God. Design magnificent architecture that blows the mind with beautiful design because that shows us something of God. Write songs with creativity and complexity and beauty because that communicates something about the nature of God. Create iPhone apps that solve problems and technologies that make human life and flourishing better because you are putting on display the very creativity of your creator and you are made in his image. Create to the glory of God. We see God in you. But here's where you and God are different. For all created creators, that's all of us, um, every, every, everything that we create, we create out of that which already exists. In other words, we can rearrange musical notes. We can, we can reformat colors. We can, we can rearrange different building materials and words and ideas and, and craft them. But God alone creates out of nothing. The theological term is ex nihilo. We are, we are rearranging that which exists. God alone created that which exists out of nothing. This is what uh, Hebrews 11 verse 3 says. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, in God's eternal mind, he thought of time and space and matter and mass. He thought of plants and animals and weather systems. He thought about galaxies and the laws of physics and man as his image bearer. He thought about human emotion and complex relationships and the idea of trust. And he spoke them into existence out of nothing. Ex nihilo. In the beginning, before anything was, God creates out of nothing. God is a creator, and he is a thoughtful, orderly, precise creator. In the beginning, God created what's next. We'll finish our verse now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
That phrase, the heavens and the earth, is kind of a Hebrew shorthand or junk drawer term for everything, right? The heavens and the earth, everything that's out there, everything that's down here, he created it. Well, does that include? Yes, it does. Heavens and earth, God created everything. Everything that is comes from God and is for God and is held together by God. Everything, the heavens and the earth. Earlier this week, my wife took our kids to uh, the Henry Dorley Zoo, and while they were there, they went to the IMAX theater, and there was a documentary on whales. And my wife came home all excited about whales, which is hilarious because my wife has no interest in marine biology. And so when my wife came home excited, I thought they were putting a new shopping mall across the street. I thought, you know, Banana Republic had a sale. What's going on? Why are you so excited? Whales! It's incredible! This was very humorous for me, if you know my wife, but she continued uh, to tell me about whales for about five minutes. And so um, some things I learned, did you know that blue whales on average are 100 feet long? Their tongues weigh as much as an elephant and their heart is the same size as a small vehicle. Um, When their mouth is fully open, my beautiful wife informed me, it's large enough to drive a school bus into. The blue whale is the largest animal ever to live on our planet that we know of, outsizing even all of the dinosaurs. There was not a dinosaur larger than the blue whale. It is so big it could eat any other animal that is on the planet. And, and, and the thing that got me the most was she told me, um, really until about 150 years, we really didn't even know anything about them. Since the beginning of time, these animals, the size of a large Morton building, have been living on our planet, and we didn't even know about them. That's incredible. What that means is God created the blue whale just because. Just because. Why'd you do that? Because I could. Boom. Why not? Right? He didn't necessarily create it for our enjoyment. He created it for his enjoyment. God created the blue whale because he could. He created microorganisms that we will never discover. He created these complex atoms that we will never fully understand. He created galaxies that are billions of light years away that we will never discover. And he did it because he could. He created everything. Why? Because he did. Because he's God. And because he could. He created microorganisms and black holes. He created sound. Everything was created by God, belongs to God, and exists for God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's incredible. Now let me ask this question, so what? Why the blue whale? Why God? What does all of this matter to you and I in 2015? Listen carefully. Here's why this matters. Unless you believe in a personal creator, you believe that you came from nothing You are alive on this earth for nothing, and when you die, you will go nowhere. And the only destination of this worldview is despair, depression, and darkness, I promise you. The only intellectually honest outlook you can have with integrity on life is despair. I don't say that as a critic of atheists, but I'm speaking on behalf of one of the most renowned atheistic philosophers himself, Bertrand Russell. Here's what he says. He summarizes the creationless worldview and its impact for our lives. Listen to his quote. He says this. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of the unyielding despair, 
can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built? He's saying there's nowhere you can build your life, no truth that it can be safely built unless it's on despair based on these truths. What? That man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Really, Bertrand? That's the only firm foundation of the soul's habitation, unyielding despair? We have to root our lives in the truth that we are but cosmic accidents with no purpose and no ultimate destination? City like God would tell you otherwise. Listen to me. You are not an accident. This is not an accident. You are the intentional, thoughtful, careful, skillful creation of a loving creator who designed you and formed you and gave you life for the purpose of knowing and enjoying him forever. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we will study next week, God created the heavens and the earth that he might make a garden for the safe and joyful dwelling place of man. And the rest of the story goes like this. When our first parents rebelled against God in the garden, when Adam and Eve and you and me chose to run after our own sinful desires and run away from God to our own sin and folly, God did not stand aloof at a distance and passive indifference, but he rushed in. The Bible begins with the three words, in the beginning. And listen how the gospel writer John starts the gospel account of Jesus Christ and how it describes him. Read along with me, John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that made um, anything made that was made. Do you see what John is showing us? He's echoing Genesis to show us who Jesus is. Skip down to verse fourteen. It says, "And the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory." City light. I want you to know that Jesus was not God's afterthought, makeshift, plan B savior that he sent into the world after we had sinned and jacked up his creation. Jesus is God, the God of Genesis 1 that I have been describing, the God that spoke the world into creation, the God that existed from eternity past, the God that designed the blue whale, the eternal sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth is Jesus. Jesus is God. The naked Nazarene who hung bleeding on a brutal cross was God, the God of glory, the God of creation. It was God. Think of the unimaginable love that would bring him to condescend himself to, to be a baby in a manger born to a teenage unwed mother in a rural abstract town. Think of the amazing love of God that would rip a hole into time and space to step down into his own creation. He is the author that has entered his own story. 
Out of love for you, this God, eternal, beautiful, sovereign King, Creator, Lord, stepped down into His creation to take from you your sins, to take from you your guilt, to take from you your shame, and to give you life. The eternal, magnificent, speaking God came for you. And that's not even the part where I get fired up. You ready for this? Jesus is the God of creation, but Jesus is also the God of new creation, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. See, it was Jesus in the beginning that created. When the world fell into despair and sin and folly by our own doing, it was Jesus who came that we might become a new creation. And guess what? On that last day, it is Jesus who will return to create a new heavens and a new earth. From beginning to middle to end, it's all about Jesus, the God of creation, the God of creation in the beginning, the God of new creation in you, and the God of the new creation that you will enjoy him in for eternity if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God creates. God creates. Jesus is not our co-pilot. He's not our boyfriend. He is God. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus is not a small God who's looking for a new fan base and a good Twitter following. Jesus is the sovereign creator, Lord, and God who saves us by grace and invites us to know him and worship him and center our lives around him. He created us. He came to recreate us, and he is inviting us to worship him eternally in the new creation. City Light, let that blow your minds. Who God is, what it means that he would come to live, die, raise, and reign for you. God creates. Would you pray with me? Jesus, before the world spun on its axis, you were. Before the stars were, before space was and time was, you were. You are eternally pre-existent. You are eternally preeminent. You are eternally powerful. And then, God, it blows our minds to picture the humble King Jesus on a cross, able in every way to climb down from the bloody Roman cross that held him there. You spoke the tree that built the cross into existence unless, except uh, you, you let yourself be hung there as the atonement for our sins. Oh God, would you expand our minds? Would you blow out the boundaries of any way that we think that we already know you? Would you become bigger in us that we might experience your love more fully, that we might worship you more truly and more accurately, that you might consume more and more of our hearts and our church and our praise and our worship and our adoration for you alone are worthy. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.